Today, I um, continue with the focus on the uh, series of messages I said that we would be talking about what I call favorite passages that has been a blessing to God's people. We've talked about the first chapter of Proverbs. We've spoken about Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd. In Psalm 23, we talked about the Good Shepherd and the Chief Shepherd in John 10. Today, we're going to now look at Psalm 133. This is a tremendously wonderful psalm that God has given through, the, through, the, uh, uh, through David. And we're going to be looking at this today. I've entitled the message, The Place of God's Blessing. Now, this psalm is an expression of holy joy, motivated by the sight of the gathering of Israel as one great household of the people of God on a yearly basis in Jerusalem, the holy city. Now, if you take your Bibles and you turn to Psalm 124, and you look at Psalm 124, you look at Psalm 125, 126, all the way to Psalm 134, you will see a heading over those Psalms in most of the Bible that reads a song of ascent. Do you see that? Song of Ascent. They're also called Songs of Degree or Songs of Steps. Some also call them Pilgrim Songs. Four of these Psalms from 124 to 100, from 120 to 134, four of them were written by David. One was written by Solomon, and that's Psalm 127 that we just read about at the baby dedication. The others are anonymous. No one knows who really wrote them. But these are the songs that were used by the people of God as they made their way up to the city of Jerusalem three times a year, actually, to worship. And they call them songs of ascent because they sung them as they moved, made their way up the mountain to the holy city. They did it three times a year because in Deuteronomy 16, 16, this is what God told his people. Three times a year, all your males must appear before the Lord your God in the place he chooses for the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of temporary shelters, also called the tabernacles. And they must not appear before him empty-handed. In other words, they bring their sacrifices. But notice these gracious words. Every one of you must give as you are able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. This is a tremendous thing. I just really came to realize the impact of this particular phrase because that phrase is almost identical to one used in the book of Corinthians when Paul talks about how Christians are to give today and is not to be looking at the tithe as a legalistic obligation because in the Old Testament, the tithe was a tax to keep the tabernacle going. It was a tax. That's why God said, if you didn't do it, you were robbing God. That same thing does not hold today. People of God are not taxed. According to Paul, they give like this one. Every one of you must give as you are able according to the blessing of the Lord as the Lord has prospered you. But the overall impact of this particular psalm here 
is that although the children of Israel were brethren, even when they were dispersed, when they were scattered, it was only in these great convocations that besides being related to each other, that they actually came together as a people to worship. They were scattered in their various cities, and tribes and so on. But three times a year, these occasions were marked out by God. The people would come to at least one of them. And as they made their way up to the temple, to the place of worship, they would be singing these songs, and they were all joyful songs, all happy songs, because they were anticipating coming together as God's people to worship Him. That is what is celebrated in this psalm, the blessedness of God's people coming together to worship. And they were glad about it, and they were happy about it. This has a remarkable wonderful, timeless message for us even as we gather every Lord's Day to worship Him. We should come with joyful anticipation as well, shouldn't we? Joyful anticipation from all over this island. We are to come here with the anticipation of worshiping the triune God. And we should come with a heart of praise, gratitude, thankfulness. Rather than, well, I wonder how long he can preach today. I wonder who's going to sing now. I wonder what he can preach on today. I wonder what she can wear today. I hope she ain't got on the same dress I got on. There must be a holy anticipation when we come to worship the triune God as the people of God. That's what this psalm is all about. That's why it's so timely for us today. What kind of anticipation do you have when you come? Here, is it just another meeting? Another large meeting? Or is it a time when you come together as the people of God to worship, to try on God? Coming to this service, to this place, is a modern counterpart to Psalm 100. And 33. Keep that in mind. Let's read it together. Behold, how good to how it's sung by Thank you. 
beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful message. When I look in at all, and nobody was smiling except Drew. I think Drew was smiling. But you see, this psalm says we should be joyful. We should be happy as we come together as God's people. Let's unpack this message from God to us today. And again, I remind you, it is the Word of God. We're looking at the Word of God. And if God speaks to us and we understand what he is saying, then what is our response? We should obey. Isn't that right? This is the word of God that we're looking at now. Let's look at it very closely. First, you need to understand that the psalmist is very deliberate here. He first prepares us to hear an important truth. He states that truth. And then he gives two examples or illustrations to explain what it means so we don't miss the point. First then, let's notice how the psalmist prepares us to receive the declaration of truth in Psalm 1. He begins with the word behold in the King James Version. Behold. Now this word draws attention to an important saying, a statement that expresses an important truth. And this word, behold, is saying, listen carefully. I want you to prepare yourself to receive this message. Now, when I give messages about how we should prepare ourselves to coming to a church gathering, this is one of the things I would bring out. We need to come with prepared hearts to listen to what God has to say to us and then to respond. This is what the psalmist is saying. Behold, Jesus used the same phrase in John 1, 9. Not, I'm sorry, not Jesus, John. When he saw Jesus coming, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God. I want you to look at him. I want you to scrutinize him. I want you to evaluate him. I want you to look at this man who's coming towards me with close scrutiny. That's the import of this word, behold. Prepare yourself for a message from God. Now, I normally close my message with what word? Okay. This word is what you should Say to yourself, or maybe I should start using this now, when we first begin the message. Behold, listen up, pay attention, stop thinking about other things. Pay attention to what you are about to hear. And that's what we need to do on this occasion. Listen up, reflect, consider the significance of what is about to be said what you are about to hear. Behold, consider, reflect upon the blessed fact that we have gathered to worship the triune God. What does that mean to you? Listen up. But secondly, let's look at the statement itself that David says we must pay attention to. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Now, of course, the word here is a generic term. It means brothers and sisters. It means the people of God. The psalmist is extolling the virtues and values of unity among the people of God 
even today. In fact, we would say today he's extolling the virtues and values of unity among members of the incredible body of Christ. Pay attention to what this means for the members of the body of Christ to worship in unity. He's saying, listen, I want you to listen to this truth. This is a vital truth. You must understand what it means for the people of God to come together to worship in unity. Now, Jesus himself, you know, prayed that we might demonstrate this unity as the people of God. Listen to his prayer. Or his, in fact, he was praying it to his father in John 17. Read it along with me, please. I want you to participate. Read it along with me as you see it. I am not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony. That's you and me, by the way. That's you and me that they're praying for. All right? Verse 21. That they will be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I pray that they will be one in us so that the world will believe. Do you notice that? That the world might believe. Unity. Verse 22. The glory you gave to me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world will know that you sent me, and you have loved them just as you've loved me. This is Jesus Christ praying for you and me. For what? That we might demonstrate unity, the unity that is manifested within the triune God. Listen up, people of God. Listen up. That's the kind of unity we are to demonstrate and to rejoice in. And so the unity among the people of God is an extremely vital issue for the building up of the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus says it is one of the core validations of the gospel message. It is useless for any of us as members of the incredible body of Christ to go out to talk to anybody about Jesus Christ if we don't have unity when we meet together. It's useless. Why? Because Jesus says that the only way they're going to understand that I was sent to redeem them is if we sow unity when we worship. This is serious stuff. Listen up! This is one of the core validations of the gospel message. The first and foremost, of course, is love. Actually, I see love and unity as being the two sides of the most powerful means of witnessing for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself says, this is how the world will know that you've sent me, if you love one another and if you have unity. Now, if we don't love one another and we don't have unity, you could talk, you could do all kinds of things you like but you're not sending the gospel message out the way God wants it to be done. Listen up to this message. Lack of love, lack of unity are like spiritual poison that kills the witness of a local church. When it comes to unity, in fact, Paul gives 
a rather severe reminder and warning to any who would seek to cause division and disunity in the church. Speaking to the Corinthians about some causing divisions by saying, I like that preacher, Paul, I like that preacher, Peter, I like that preacher, Apollos, and everybody started having a little clicks. Here is what Paul, the apostle, said about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Read this with me too, please, if you will. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If someone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, which is what you are. Now, in context, that's not only referring to our physical bodies. That is referring to the local church. And so what Paul was telling these people at Corinth, who are getting into little clicks because what's one like this preacher, this one like that preacher, and so on. He says, listen, you're causing division in the church, and I want you to remember this. God himself steps in when anyone dares to break the unity of a local church. He says, if you destroy that unity, what will he do? What will he do? It's a little afraid to stay out, isn't it? But that's God speaking. Unity is a serious thing to God and to the extension of the kingdom. Unity amongst the people of God is a vital issue, and God doesn't fool around when it comes to unity. If we don't maintain it in the power of peace, as we'll see, God himself will step in. But let's go on. Unity among the people of God has an intrinsic value. Notice what he says. It is good. It is good objectively. That means simply that unity amongst the people of God is good in itself. How good it is. Have you heard that expression? It's from this psalm. How good it is. Unity amongst the people of God has an intrinsic worth and value. It is good in itself by its very nature. Unity among the people of God is good. That's an objective truth. You know it to be a fact. God says it's good. God says when the people of God gather together in unity to worship me, that's good. Remember when he created the earth? He looked at it and he said what? It is good. Whenever God's people come together in unity to worship, he looks down and you know what he says? It's good. God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth. That means there's no disunity. And when he finds them, he says, I found a good thing. Just like I found Nancy. You know what the Bible says? You found a wife, you found a good thing. How do I get off on that? Anyway, all right. But notice now, the true import of this verse is not merely that it is good to be part of the family of God, but it's good that we are united as the family of God. And so when we are united in one place as the family of God to worship him, that's good. That's what David is saying. This is the emphasis. It is good when those who are brethren unite together as one to worship and praise God. It's good. That act is good in itself. That experience is good. 
by its very nature. This is a good thing for us to do today. It's good that you're here. God says it's good. Unless you have a seed of disunity in your heart. Unless you have it out to bring disunity amongst the people of God. That's not good. And God's going to take care of you. But when the people of God gather together in unity, it's good. It's a good thing to do. We can feel good right now. Because God says it's a good thing we're doing. Amen? It's a good thing we're doing. That's why the psalm is so fitting for us today. We as members of the incredible body of Christ have gathered together in obedience to Christ our head. Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's a command in scripture. Isn't that right? Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's a good thing to assemble together as the people of God. And that's what we've done here. We've come here to unitedly praise and worship God. He says this is good. It's the right and proper thing to do because we are one in Christ. And if God says our coming together is good, it's good. We can then rejoice that we are doing a good thing by being gathered here today. We can rest in the blessed assurance that right now we are in the will of God. And that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing to know. But you know something else? That's a good thing to feel. And that's what David goes on to say. Because secondly, he says that this unity amongst the people of God is pleasant. How good and pleasant it is. In other words, it's an objective truth that we know, but we can also feel it. And when we feel it, it's a pleasant feeling. How many of you feel pleasant right now? But this is what Paul... See, that's because we don't really know, as we should, how good our gathering is. If we really know it, and God, that's why he says, listen to it carefully, examine it. It's a good thing. And if we really come here with a sense of unity amongst ourselves to praise and worship God, we will all not only know it's good, we'll feel it's good. And we'll feel it's a pleasant thing to do. It's a good and pleasant experience to worship God in unity. Now this unity is something that is intrinsic, by its very nature good, it's pleasant to the experience, but it is only experienced and maintained by peace. This is what Paul brings out in Ephesians 4. This unity brought about by the Spirit is maintained in a spirit and attitude of peace. Now he's not talking about peace with God, although this is of course the basis for our gathering together. But what he's talking about here is peace amongst brethren and sisters in Psalm 133. This unity spoken about is a unity that is maintained by peace amongst brethren and sisters. That means if either any of us are fighting with one another and we cannot reconcile, we don't forgive, we don't ask forgiveness, and when it's asked, we don't give it, we're not living in peace. We're not maintaining the unity of the Spirit. That's why Jesus spoke about it. You coming to worship me and you 
You, you remember you have something, you have ought against your brother. What are you supposed to do? Go worship and then go back? No, 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 no. What are you supposed to do? Go and get it right. Why? Because if you don't, God will not accept your offering. I don't care what it is. He's not going to receive it. He said that. He won't receive it. You could give all you want. You could sing all you want. You could do all you want. But if you do not reconcile with your brother or sister, then you are breaking the peace unity amongst the people of God and that's not good it is possible to have peace with God but not with our brethren not with our sisters God wants us to have peace with him and peace with one another this is what is good and pleasant and my friends listen it is important for us to realize why whenever we lack this feeling a pleasantness when we come together to worship it means we do not have the peace that creates the unity now I don't care where you are you could be at home and the people of God gather together to worship you could be on a boat you could be anywhere no matter what it is but if you are not a peace where you are when the people of God is worshiping perhaps the reason is is because you should be there too because it's a good and a pleasant thing for the people of God to gather together to worship God we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves to do this how good and how pleasant it is but now how good and how pleasant is it you know what David tells us he goes on to explain exactly how good it is and how pleasant it is look at verse 2 first he says it's like the consecration of Aaron the high priest he says it's like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard running down on Aaron's beard down upon the collar of his robes by the way the tense here is very important how this should be read is in this way it is like precious oil being poured on the head running down on the bed on the beard running down on Aaron's bed. in other words it's something that's going on in process going on it should be happening all the time and I notice the text now some of you came in today and you said boy you only got three verses to preach on today I know we can get out early <laughs> notice now it's not simply like oil in other words not like any kind of oil it is what precious oil and not only is it like precious oil poured on the head but it's like precious oil poured on the head and running down on the beard and even then it's not just anyone's beard but it's Aaron's beard and not only that it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on Aaron's bed and also down upon his robes and this is all given to us so we can understand what it means and God says it's a good and pleasant thing for brethren to dwell together in unity let's look at it it's good because it's like precious oil this oil is not cheap or common you can't buy this just from any little store you can't get this on the mail order anywhere not this oil 
The oil that he's speaking about here was one that was used to anoint high priests. And this was a very special oil. It was rare. It was valuable. In fact, listen to this passage. Exodus chapter 30. Lord spoke to Moses. Take choice spices. Twelve and a half pounds of free flowing myrrh. Half that. About six and a quarter pounds of sweet smelling cinnamon. Six and a quarter pounds of sweet smelling cane. And twelve and a half pounds of cassia. All weighed according to the sanctuary shekel. And four quarts of olive oil. Notice now. You are to make this into a sacred anointing oil. A perfumed compound. The work of a perfumer. Just not anybody can make this. It will be sacred anointing oil. With it, you are to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the laver and its base. These had all to do with the worship of God. So you are to sanctify them, that they will be most holy. Anything that touches them will be holy. This is talking about things that will be used to worship the triune God. You are to anoint Aaron and his sons and sanctify them so that they might minister as my priests. And you are to tell the Israelites, this is to be my sacred oil, my sacred anointing oil throughout your generations. It must not be applied to people's bodies. You must not make any like it with the same composition. This is unique. This is precious. It is holy. And it must be holy to you. Set apart something different. Whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts any of it on a stranger will be cut off from his people. You talk about precious oil. This is just not cod liver oil. This is not olive oil. This is a precious oil. This is a unique kind of oil. This is a one-of-a-kind kind of oil. And remember, he's describing what it means for God's people to worship in unity. Something precious. Something unique. Something different. You cannot do this outside of God's people. Oh yeah, I could sit before my TV and watch five programs on TBN. I worship in God, not according to this. Why? Because it's a unique experience. When the people of God gathers together in unity, nothing like it trans takes place anywhere else on the face of this planet. It's always special, very costly, very precious. So is unity among the people of God. What did it cost God to secure the unity of believers who make up the body of Christ? It cost him his precious blood. You were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood. Nothing like it. Unique. Rare. That's the basis for our worship. And yet sometimes we treat it as though it's nothing. I wouldn't even pay a penny. And it cost God his son. To give us the grounds to worship. Oh no, not do I could come together with God's will anytime. You don't understand. You haven't listened to what God is saying about worshiping Him with His people. You do not know 
what it means for God's people to join together in unity to worship. That's why you treat it the way you do. Listen up to what I'm saying. That's what he's saying here. Jesus Christ purchased us with his own blood. This makes this unity something special amongst the people of God. Rare, precious, valuable. We must therefore treat it as such. We must regard it as such. We must guard it, guard it, and keep it. We must protect it. We must not treat it casually and with disdain. We must not allow it to be disrupted through pettiness and selfishness and murmuring and bickering. We must do whatever it takes to be maintained, even if it means sacrifice of our own pride, even if it means humiliation and misunderstanding. We must not regard this unity amongst God's people so important for genuine worship to be something mundane or which was common inconsequential, insignificant. No, this unity is special. It's worthy of celebration. That's why these Jews were so happy when they moved up the hills to Jerusalem to worship God. This very act that we have here today, this very gathering is precious and sacred in the sight of God. It is as precious oil. But not only that. Brethren, unity, unity amongst the people of God is good. Why? Because it is like precious oil poured on the head. Now this refers to a special blessing. A special anointing. This isn't just any old anointing. By the way, that word anointing is being so misused today it's unbelievable but anyway i'll feature on that another time this anointing refers to a special blessing a special anointing only aaron was so anointed the high priest all other priests including his sons were sprinkled with the oil not the oil wasn't poured out over their head that's how it's done just sprinkling but with Aaron, the high priest, it was poured out. Beautiful illustration of the lavish outpouring of the Spirit of God upon his people. Nothing's held back. Nothing. Aaron's was a special appointment, special anointment. He was a specially appointed mediator between God and man. His was a most sacred calling, and the oil by which he was consecrated was therefore considered sacred, unique. The service to which he was appointed was special. His primary purpose was to bring God and man into fellowship with one another. That was Aaron, Aaron's mission. And his anointing was a special one. God has anointed us with his spirit. Tell us in John, we've been anointed with him. And he's the one who leads us in worship. He's the one who guides us in worship. He should be the one who leads and guides us in worship. But yet today, we feel that we could only worship in the spirit if we get help from the world. We want to bring in all kinds of things to help us feel good. The louder the music, the better we feel. The more jumpy the tune, the, the, the more pleasant it is. Brethren and sisters, 
these things ought not to be so. We have the anointing of the Spirit of God. And Paul tells us in Galatians that we worship in the power of the Spirit and not in anything that is attached to the flesh. That's why this kind of worship is so unique, so precious, because it is led by the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, if we are worshiping the way God has laid it out for us, everything is done decently in order. He says an unsaved person could come in and he will see the people of God worshiping. That's what he says. Read it, 1 Corinthians 14. You know what they would do? Fall down and worship God themselves. Why? Because they see God in genuine, spirit-filled worship. That's unique. But many of us, when we come worship, I just, I just, I, I, go, I ain't got time to worship. Well, I could worship when I out playing golf. I could worship when I, yeah, all those things are true. But there is a special, unique, precious thing about gathering together with the people of God in unity to worship. It's unique. It's a means of bringing men and women to Christ. But something else. It's like oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. Even Aaron's bread. The emphasis here is now upon the fact that the precious oil runs upon the beard and the robes of the one being anointed. In other words, the anointing is all-inclusive, all-pervasive. As we like to say, it goes from the crown of the head to the toe. It covers you completely. Aaron was completely covered with this unique, precious oil. It covers and involves the entire person. It involves the entire body. It is complete. It is comprehensive. And beloved, so must our unity be. You just get one brother, one sister, out of harmony with God and his people, and this is destroyed. That's why in the last sessions we talked with those who are coming into the fellowship we talk about the importance of the individual. Every individual member of the body of Christ is important, vital to the growth of the body. Everyone, every ligament. And if you are not putting out the body of Christ, cannot be healthy, cannot be strong. Cannot, impossible. We need each other. Everyone must be in its place doing what it's supposed to be done in its place. The thing is, so many of us want to be doing what somebody else is doing because they, they don't like the way that person do it. I want to do it that way. That means you take that, then you want to do things your way throughout the church because you're only going to be pleased if it's done the way you want. That brings disunity. The kind of unity he's talking about here is unique because we, believers, have a special relationship with God. And together, we bring a blessing, not only to people, but to God as well. And so we must celebrate our unity like this on an ongoing, regular basis. What more can we ask for to authenticate, validate, and confirm the calling of a holy convocation of God's people? What more? This blessing coming down from above. But something else. It is good and pleasant because it is inherently refreshing. 
Verse 3 says, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now this is another illustration or simile that describes the same truth as the anointing oil. Same thing, but now emphasizing pervasiveness and blessing. But added to this now is the ideas of refreshment, restoration, and revitalization because of the blessing received. Now I see Mount Hermon was much higher, of course, than Jerusalem. It overshadowed Mount Zion. It drenched Jerusalem and the dew came down. It felt the full impact of the benefits of the dew. Mount Zion, where the temple was. And in the scriptures, dew is a symbol of freshness, of vitality, renewal, and revival. That's what God says. He says, I will be like the dew to Israel in Hosea 14. He says, I will be refreshing. I will be a blessing to them. I will revitalize them. I will be a source of spiritual renewing and revival. And that's what our gathering together should be as well. A time of revitalization. A time of refreshing. A time of revival. Now Mount Hermon is almost 10,000 feet above sea level. Because of that, the rainfall there is very heavy. As compared, to, as compared to Zion and so on. And so everything grows better. And Mount Hermon therefore becomes a picture of refreshment, revitalization. Both of these illustrations, the oil and the dew, are given to show the joy of unity among brethren. Now brethren, sisters, we've got to be more joyful. What do you say about that? I mean, what do you say about that? Can you all laugh? Can you all smile? You know? I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I look at you all, I wonder what you all, you know, I mean, good grief. I say, do I look like that to you all? No expression. No, you see, we've got to know our faith if we can be joyful about it. And that's why he says, listen up to what I have to say about worshiping in unity. It brings joy. Notice what it says. For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. The reason why Jerusalem is important is because that's the special location from which God bestows his blessing. And God's blessing permanently focuses on life. And life has to do with what? Vitality, revival, and renewal. And you know, God is a good God. I am feeling more refreshed, vitalized, and vital than I've ever done in my life. Because you know, you remember last year for five, six months, whatever it is, I was really, I wasn't feeling vitalized at all. But then I started to pray. I said, God, I want you to give me the Caleb touch. You know what Caleb said? When he was 80 years old, he was just as strong as he was when he was 40. And say, Lord, I want you to touch every muscle, every bone, every organ, my heart, my lips. I pray this every day. And I want to be feel refreshed and renewed. And God is doing it in my life. There's no doubt. This is what he's talking about here. This is the illustration of oil and, and the dew coming down. If you are where God wants you to be in the state he wants you to be, the only thing you can receive is blessing. The only thing, if you are there where God wants you to be, in the way he wants you to be, you are blessed. And he says that blessed is life evermore. That's what we call the abundant life. 
That's not a long life he's talking about. He's talking about a full, happy, pleasant, joyful life. We got to laugh more around here. We got to smile around here. We got to dance more around here. They were trying to get me to dance yesterday, but boy, I didn't know. This is what John, Jesus says in John, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one whom thou hast sent. See, it's a relationship based on knowledge. Knowledge about who God is. And this is what this psalm is all about. You see, we got to know more about our God if we're going to rejoice in him. When I get into scriptures now and I read all these things, everything seems to be new to me now. Things I've studied for years, I go there now, I see where you've been. It's amazing what's happening. God is a good God. I don't think I've known God any closer any time in my life than I know him now. And that's a pleasant feeling. That's a good feeling. Here's the principle. God blesses us when we meet to worship him in unity with one another as members of the incredible body of Christ. That's the principle. What then is the result of this? The message is clear. Renewal, renewal, revival, revitalization, joyful spirit a more positive outlook for those of us who worship God in spirit and truth a greater manifestation of the greatness power and grandeur of the mighty God that we serve oh what a God that we serve how we must get to know him more and every time we walk away from one of these services, we should go jumping with joy because we have been where God wants us to be in the attitude that he wants us to be there with. And we go out filled with this blessing only God can give. Behold, let's read it together as we close. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that run down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. This then, beloved, is the message of this psalm. It is good and pleasant for those who are members of the incredible body of Christ to come together to worship in unity because it is at that time on such occasions that the Lord bestows his blessings. This experience is good. This experience is pleasant. This experience is delightful. This experience is precious. This experience is all-inclusive. This experience is reviving. This experience is a blessed one. This is what we are experiencing right now. May God help us Continue to experience it until Christ comes to take us home together, united to worship him forever. Amen? Amen.